An impassioned plea for peace from the family of George Floyd. Let's do this another way. Donald Trump's message to the country after widespread protests. A teenager attacked on a city transit bus. Another woman on the bus directed her attention toward the daughter. The daughter was wearing a headscarf. Can you help ID the suspect, now accused of a hate crime? And BC students go back to school. We're super excited. We spent uh, a lot of time getting our school ready to go. How parents feel about COVID safety as they send their kids to class. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Our country always wins. That is why I am taking immediate presidential action to stop the violence and restore security and safety in America. I am mobilizing all available federal resources, civilian and military. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Reaction has been swift and critical to Donald Trump's speech today, but we will start with the appeal from George Floyd's brother, asking protesters to remain peaceful in their fight for justice. The outrage across the U.S. and in Canada triggered when Floyd died after a white police officer kneeled on his neck for almost nine minutes. And as you can see, Lots of protests across the country. Aaron MacArthur has more on those sweeping protests and how Donald Trump's response late this afternoon further inflamed those tensions. I can't breathe! I can't breathe! In the Minneapolis intersection where George Floyd died, a growing memorial and growing anger. For the first time, Floyd's brother Terrence visiting, buckling in grief, shaking with rage, not only at the police officers accused of his brother's murder, but at the looters too. Y'all right. Let's do this another way. Let's stop thinking that our voice don't matter. Sunday night into Monday morning across the U.S., another night of violence. In Washington, D.C., fires set blocks away from the White House. Demonstrators met with tear gas and rubber bullets. We recognize that people are frustrated and mad, but tearing up um, our beautiful city is not the way uh, to bring attention to uh, what is a righteous cause. In Louisville, the police chief was relieved of his duties Monday after officers were involved in a deadly shooting over the weekend. My first and highest duty as president is to defend our great country. And as President Trump berates governors for failing to quell the violence, fires and looting have spread across the country. The National Guard has been called out in more than a dozen states trying to impose curfew and order. And a cop doesn't like me or I did something or I look like I'm doing something wrong, he can shoot me right there. Imagine if it was your son on the ground screaming, I can't breathe, help me. Hands up! Cities are preparing for another round of protests Monday night. On the eastern seaboard, demonstrations again picking up steam. Scuffles already breaking out between police officers and protesters. 
police firing tear gas and non-lethal rounds at people outside the White House. As the president walked to a nearby church damaged over the weekend, no signs of the violence ending anytime soon. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. In this country, what started as a peaceful demonstration in Montreal showing solidarity with protests in the United States turned ugly last night. As the protest wound down, a smaller group clashed with police breaking windows and looting. Eleven people were arrested. In Vancouver, a crowd of as many as 5,000 people came together on Sunday evening outside the Vancouver Art Gallery to add their voices to the anti-racism demonstrations being held across the U.S. and around the world. But as Sarah McDonald reports, a crowd of that size makes it almost impossible for everyone to maintain physical distance. Across the country, demonstrators standing in solidarity with their American counterparts came out in droves in major Canadian cities this weekend, with thousands gathering peacefully while protesting systemic racism and police brutality in downtown Vancouver on Sunday. I feel glad that everybody came out to for a good cause. You need to understand your privilege for this thing not to affect you, you know. There is an order in place around mass gatherings and uh, I have, we have continuously said that 50 people is a maximum. So how do you balance the right to protest with public safety when effective physical distancing is virtually impossible? We must take, be careful in how we exercise our right to peaceful demonstration. I saw many people wearing masks and I encourage anyone who may be demonstrating to also please continue to keep that safe distance, making sure that we are not allowing this virus a chance to spread. Something the province warns could happen in gatherings like this. Now advising those in attendance to self-monitor for COVID-19 symptoms, a risk the event's organizer says demonstrators were aware of. We do not want people getting sick. We do not want COVID to reinfect this city. We've already seen how bad it's been. We do not need more lives lost. But for racialized communities, systemic racism is also deadly. And the world is now watching as two major crises converge. We have issues in our community that also need to be addressed. And it's just unfortunate that these issues are happening during a time when the world is going through a pandemic. In Vancouver, police are working with organizers with more demonstrations planned this week as the pandemic and the protests continue worldwide with no end in sight and no easy solution to either. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Well, now let's take a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers. Covering the past 48-hour period, we have 24 new cases total. That's nine from Saturday and 15 from Sunday for a total now of 2,597. We've had one additional death in a long-term care home, which means we've now lost 165 people in this province. Keith Baldry has more on BC's gradual reopening and where we're at so far. Two weeks into BC's reopening means more things are, well, reopening, like parks and playgrounds. And more and more businesses are coming back to life. 
like in Gastown today. I think a lot of folks are feeling a little more safe coming down um, to support their communities. The expanded reopening comes after some people continue to test positive for COVID-19, even as hospitalizations and critical care cases remain low and recoveries continue to climb. A reminder, Dr. Bonnie Henry says, that the virus is still out there. This does tell us that uh, there is still transmission of COVID in some of our communities around the province and that we're not completely out of the woods yet. But both the province's top doctor and the health minister like what they see with the reopening and shared some personal anecdotes about their own experiences so far. I did have a lovely dinner on a patio on Friday night, so I was really pleased about that. Um, so I think people are doing the right thing. They're doing it in a very thoughtful and measured way. And what I've been seeing, I'm very, I, I think it's just the right pace. People in, at least in our neighbourhood, are, uh, have been uh, very thoughtful and very caring to one another. And I just want to thank in particular uh, uh, a young boy who did a, an impromptu concert for me a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, as we went by, the family recognized him. We came up to their window and they gave a concert. And Dr. Henry wanted to share one more experience. I've been wearing my non-medical mask in certain occasions and uh, there's a small grocery store in my neighborhood and the, the aisles are quite narrow so I'm sure that I wear it when I'm in there just to make sure that I'm doing my bit to keep my droplets in as well. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now live with more. Keith, we'll circle back to the protests now. We've seen what happened in Montreal mm -hmm outside the Vancouver Art Gallery as well, and also, obviously, one popped up there on the legislature too. Yes, unexpectedly, there was one in uh, downtown square this afternoon. They marched through the downtown streets. About 300 people are now on the front steps of the legislature. Very peaceful protest. I have to tell, warn you, though, we're going to show some thoughts. There is some profanity on some of the signs, so I just want to be warned about that. Again, uh, a peaceful protest. A lot of people wearing masks, which is great, but not a lot of people necessarily social distancing. Uh, but again, we talked to Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix about this. He can't really police this in terms of forcing people to social distance. They have to do it themselves. As you heard in Sarah McDonald's story, uh, people are willing to run the risk of getting the virus because they want to send that message out uh, that racism simply can't be tolerated. Again, about 300 people uh, peacefully on the front steps of the legislature. They're not in violation of the injunction that was granted to uh, affected certain protests because they were blocking the door. Uh, that's not happening with this protest. So uh, we're not sure how long they're going to continue to be here. Uh, but again, it was unexpected and no one's really too concerned about it although the social distancing aspect is of a concern. People have asked me, are we going to see more and more of this as we go through the summer and in terms of uh, protests against pipelines and such? Keep in mind, these protests that we're seeing now are spontaneous and are not impacted by such things as court injunctions, which are in place against protests, for example, against the TMX pipeline on site. So we're going to see protests through the summer. Some of them are going to be legal and some of them aren't going to be. I would bet you're right. All right, Keith, thanks very much. All right, today also marked one of the biggest steps in the Phase 2 reopening of B.C. Back to school for the first time in two and a half months. Richard Zussman tells us how parents, teachers and students felt about returning today and about the safety measures they found. Silence broken. After nearly two and a half months, school is back. Just ready to get back into a regular routine and have some normalcy. It's sort of boring at recess because there's not a lot of things to do because they took all the equipment out. You didn't even have the, like, the same teacher and you, like, you had to like ask the teacher for help but like they were like far away from you. Just It didn't feel right. 
Around 35% of all K-5 kids across BC are heading back to voluntary in-class instruction. It's a lower return rate for those grades 6 to grade 12. At any time, a parent can tell the school they no longer want their kids participating in in-class learning. And on the flip side, a student can notify the school any time before the end of June if they want to return the school year. We're hoping for him to give us the feedback, right? So if you feel like you like it, then we'll continue. Right? And if it feels a little all too much, then we'll decide from there. With just over a third of kids expected to return in K-5, uh, there is some, some more room for, for families that uh, do choose to exercise the option of attending in-class instruction down the road. Schools looking a lot different. Students lining up at a distance before going in, and everyone must say they're feeling well before entering the building. Week one, we're expecting uh, things to settle in uh, nicely. That's certainly the reports we're hearing from a very positive, good startup day to day. The BC Teachers Union says any of their members that are concerned about the COVID-19 prevention plans can raise those concerns with the union. If they have an issue, a concern around school cleanliness or availability of soap or hand sanitizer or any of those things, they need to connect with their local, with their union rep at the school. As for kids, if they come home and tell their parents they're concerned about the COVID-19 guidelines not being followed, the parents should then reach out to the school. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The province is helping protect business owners who are facing eviction. Under a new order, BC businesses that qualify for Ottawa's rent support program cannot be evicted because of unpaid rent. The directive provides a lifeline to those who've lost at least 70% of their revenue, but whose landlords did not apply for the rent supplement from Ottawa. Now I recognize there are many more businesses that have closed or struggled through the pandemic. One single program isn't going to fit the variety of needs the businesses are facing. The federal program has other business supports and programs in place. And the province also introduced a variety of tax cuts, delays and deferrals for businesses. The order is in effect until the end of June, but it will be extended if necessary. The struggle to stay two metres apart on transit just got tougher. As phase two rolls along, bus capacity is being ramped up, although ridership is still down. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, the free ride is over. Ridership on buses and on SkyTrain remains extremely light, even as restrictions are eased. You got the mask on, I see. Yeah. Yeah, you got to save yourself from COVID, yeah. right? Yeah, I think people are still a little bit scared to go out and maybe getting used to it, um, getting back into normal life. The pandemic resulted in ridership plummeting 75 to 80 percent, prompting TransLink to project a shortfall between $570 million and $680 million this year. Now it's rolling back some ridership rules. Another big change, front door boarding. That's been made possible because we've installed operator protection barriers. Because those are now installed, it means that we're able to once again collect fares. The other change is capacity. So we had been operating on buses at around one-third capacity, and that's when those seat closure signs were in effect. We've now lifted that to two-thirds capacity. Passengers are still encouraged to wear masks and maintain physical distance whenever possible. Added safety measures include extra cleaning 
and temporary plexiglass barriers to protect drivers. It's busier, yeah, way busier. Also, buses are returning to pre-pandemic schedules, with riders reminded you'll no longer get a free ride. Fare collection has resumed. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Metro Vancouver Transit Police are once again warning there is zero tolerance for hate or racism on board after yet another disturbing attack. They are looking to identify a female suspect who's accused of unleashing her rage on a teenager before assaulting a good Samaritan. Grace Key reports. This woman is wanted for allegedly attacking a 17-year-old girl and a Good Samaritan in what police are calling an apparent hate crime. It happened on May 21st at about 3.45 in the afternoon after the teen and her mother boarded a bus near Pacific Centre Mall. The daughter was wearing a headscarf. Now this woman asked some questions uh, where she was from, if she was Canadian, and then she mocked and ridiculed the 17-year-old girl uh, based on her ethnicity. The suspect became increasingly aggressive, telling the teen, your smile is making me want to punch you in the face. And that's when the woman allegedly got got up from her seat, approached the 17-year-old girl, punched her multiple times in the face, nearly hitting her headscarf off. Unfortunately, the mother and a Good Samaritan were able to intervene. They were able to separate the suspect from the victim. The Good Samaritan called 911 and followed the suspect when she got off the bus at Hastings Street in Jackson Avenue. The woman allegedly took off her boots and began hitting the man and then pulled out a knife. He backed off and she ran away. Any kind of racism or hate is totally unacceptable on the transit system. And we want people to discreetly text transit police. It's a good way to do it because everybody has their cell phones out on the transit system anyway. You can discreetly text us, get a hold of our dispatchers, or in an emergency situation, call 911. The suspect is described as possibly an Indigenous female, about 40 years old, 5 feet 8 inches tall, around 140 pounds. She was wearing a black hat, dark sunglasses, dark top with the word pink written on the back, blue jean shorts, black boots, and a distinct silver reflective backpack that changes color in different lights. If you have any information, you're asked to call Vancouver Transit Police. Grace Key, Global News. New developments in the investigation of the Snowbirds crash. Video reveals the most likely cause and an explanation for why the plane crashed so quickly after takeoff. The findings in just over a minute. Secrets of the sponge. What this rare marine creature is telling us about the health of our oceans coming up on the news hour. And another evacuation order for residents in a region getting sick and tired of flooding. That's later. Right now, though, a major development tonight in the investigation into that fatal crash of a Canadian snowbird jet last month in Kamloops. As Ted Chernecki reports, video recorded seconds before the plane spiraled into the ground might show what caused the tragedy. Bird could cause so much damage on its own, but it's what a former transportation safety board inspector and Tudor jet pilot knows. That's where birds like to be. They like to be near airports. Airports spend a lot of time and energy trying to control bird populations. It's something that's not just in this snowbird problem, but other airplanes that hit birds. I, I had a hit a few birds over my flying career, but in a big airplane with big engines and just a little bit of damage to the engine, no big deal. But uh, certainly a small airplane, uh, a bird near the airport like that, it's, it's, it's a higher risk type of uh, uh, part of the uh, flying envelope. 
The Tudor jet is a small plane with one engine. But even a lot of birds striking bigger planes with many engines can be a big problem. It's been 11 years since the so-called miracle on the Hudson. An Airbus A320 struck a flock of geese soon after takeoff in New York, necessitating a remarkable landing in the Hudson River where everyone survived. The snowbirds remain grounded in Kamloops as the investigation continues. Another area of interest are those ejection seats. Why does one survive and the other not? It's very sad someone did not survive, and there'll be a lot of energy and, I'm sure, investigation to figure out why that happened. Because the ejection seat is your last safety defense. And if it didn't work successfully, then obviously it's, it's something that needs to be figured out. In the video, you can see the aircraft canopy getting ejected, followed by both crew members. Pilot Captain Richard McDougall survived. Captain Jen Casey, the team's public affairs officer, did not. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Up next, residents struggle with undrinkable water. It's not just poor quality water, it's shockingly poor. The BC community with mud coming out of the tap and why they're stuck with it for now. Also tonight, a bold bike theft suspect, unapologetic about being caught in the act. Traffic is in good shape over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, both north and south. Keep in mind, though, lane closures for overnight maintenance between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts. For insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions, all from home, just visit sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. A Vancouver man recorded his confrontation with an apparent would-be bike thief. Is that your bike here? Why, uh, why are you taking a power? Yeah, really? We've seen this happen before. It happened at about 7.30 on Sunday night in front of an Abbott Street condo tower. The man was returning home when he came across this man cutting through a bike lock with a cordless grinder. The resident started filming and asked the guy what was going on. This seems pretty suspect, as you could imagine. What? This seems pretty suspect, as you could imagine. Nice white. Yeah, I paid a lot of money for this bike. I don't believe you, dude. How can, how can nobody can believe nobody here? Well, because we live here and we see bikes get stolen here all the time. Yeah. The resident filming says he made sure the man wasn't going to take that bike and that moments later a police officer arrived on scene. At that point, the man jumped on another bike and raced away. Vancouver police say they were able to track down the 50-year-old man and arrest him for attempted theft. The spring melt has triggered a string of evacuation orders and alerts across a large swath of southern B.C. From the Fraser Valley to the Kootenays, hundreds of homeowners and businesses are now scrambling to be ready for the rising waters. John Hua reports. As Grand Forks residents rush to stop rising water levels, already spilling over a flood of bad memories from 2018, when this community was left devastated. I hope when the water rises, I'm still good, but I'm doing everything I can to, to keep it that way because I can't go through a flooded house again. The regional district of Kootenay boundary forced to place a total of 189 properties on evacuation order. About 2,000 people told to be ready to leave home at a moment's notice. It's kind of like a post-traumatic thing. It's really affecting people emotionally. Just seeing the waters come up again and seeing uh, people have to leave their homes is extremely difficult. While the situation is not as dire as the record flooding two years ago, for some, that doesn't make it any easier. 
It hasn't been very pleasant, to say the least, and it has been extremely, extremely stressful. While the BC River Forecast Centre has maintained or downgraded to flood watches for the Bonaparte River, West and East Kootenays and Quenelle River, the concern is now concentrated on the Boundary Region, where a flood warning is in effect. It wasn't as, as severe as, as, it, as it could have been, but that was sort of at the expense of, of some of these uh, other areas that did see uh, the real bullseye of the rain. In the Fraser Valley, a new evacuation alert for areas not protected by dikes around Nickman Island. But the major rivers now were, were really coming into that peak season uh, for uh, the bigger rivers of the province. In West Kootenay, evacuees in Castlegar are just doing their best to be prepared. In Grand Forks, there have been plenty of lessons learned from the past. But the pain that comes with flooding will now surely linger even longer. John Hua, Global News. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon for more on the risk. And Christy, could things get worse for areas which have already been hard hit? Well, certainly the boundary region right now, Sophie, is the main one we're watching under that warning because the river levels are still expected to rise in the next 24 hours. So the peak happening within the next 24 hours, but still further rise expected. There's good news, though, when it comes to the weather. We've got a front that's going to move across the province tomorrow. But for those regions, that boundary as well as West Kootenay area, we're not expecting much at all. And then temperature wise, we're not going to see much in terms of extreme heat that we saw leading into this past weekend. So low 20s is manageable and we're not expecting any significant rain until over the weekend. So great news weather-wise for those areas. And I'll tell you, Sophie, when I come back, we're going to hone in on the Williams Lake and Quinell area. I think those are the areas that we're going to be watching closely in the next coming days. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. We'll check in with you in a bit. Still ahead, 10 years of terrible-looking tap water. Residents in one BC community say enough is enough as they fight for a better water supply. Also tonight, running for a record. Why he's doing it in Denham later. No counterflow needed at the Massey Tunnel this evening. Traffic is two lanes north and two lanes south. and moving well between Delta and Richmond. Kermat Collision and Autoglass have been family-run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Good evening, and it's a busy one over here at Tawasson Ferry Terminal. The 9 p.m. to Swartz Bay is 90% full. The 7.15 to Southern Gulf Islands is at half capacity. The 8.15 to Duke Point is sold out, and the 10.45 is already at half full. Kermat Collision and Autoglass have been family-run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Tawasa Ferry Terminal. The third of four planned wage increases for B.C.'s lowest-paid workers kicked in today. The province's minimum wage increased by 75 cents from 13.85 to $14.60 an hour. Liquor servers also saw their minimum wage rates go up by almost 10%, while resident caretakers and live-in camp leaders got a 5.4% pay boost. BC's minimum wage has increased each year since 2018 as part of the path to 15. After the final hike next June, it will be $15.20 per hour. 
UBC scientists are sounding an alarm tonight about the future of one of the most remarkable creatures in the ocean that's found only in the waters off BC. They say the first long-term study of sea sponges, considered to be living dinosaurs, has found that climate change could have a major impact on our oceans. Linda Ellsworth reports. Diving among glass sponges is an experience few get to have and even fewer forget. It is uh, sort of a life-changing experience. They are so glorious. Dr. Jeff Marlioff, a marine biologist who studies these ancient beauties, has had the privilege many times. Glass sponges are found around the world, but they only continue to form reefs in British Columbia and only in Howe Sound. Divers use air to get down to them. That's because the other 18 bioherms, that's what they call glass sponge reefs, are as deep as 150 meters below the surface. It's really hard to think about them um, like we do about orcas and salmon because they are very deep at the bottom of the ocean. But that didn't stop Dr. Angela Stevenson, who collected a few small specimens, brought them back to her UBC lab, then managed to do what no one else had ever done, keep them alive. Well, I've been trying for decades and it's kind of like cut flowers. They, they just don't last. It was really a matter of trying to figure out how to keep them clean, happy and fed. Her goal, to find out how sensitive they were to changes brought about by climate change. So she made their water a little warmer and a little more acidic. Her findings? It really made their skeleton much weaker and more elastic and that would compromise their ability to, to form these giant reefs. Reefs that can stand as tall as an eight-story building. She also found that the conditions impaired the sponge's ability to filter water, an important service they provide the Salish Sea. They are the filter of our ocean, and warming temperatures and acidification uh, reduce that capacity by two to five times. And so their loss, after surviving for 40 million years, would be tragic in so many ways. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, the drug remdesivir appears to help COVID-19 patients who are moderately ill. That's according to the results of a non-peer-reviewed Phase three trial released by Gilead Sciences this morning. According to the drug manufacturer, those on a five-day course of remdesivir were 65% more likely to have clinical improvement at day 11 when compared to standard care. The U.S. FDA granted emergency use authorization for the drug last month. Well, still to come, a new family in the neighborhood. Sometimes she's like, would turn and look at us and we're like, oh, we've been too noisy. A deer gives birth to a fawn right outside their window. And that wasn't the only surprise. Several hundred residents of a Vancouver Island neighborhood just north of Parksville say they are tired of fighting for something most British Columbians take for granted. They've had nasty, murky-looking drinking water for over a decade. And as Brad McLeod reports, they're not buying the regional district's assurances that it's still perfectly okay. But that's the difference of two weeks. The Ward family had to install an expensive filtration system because this is what comes out of their taps in French Creek. Even with this water filtration system, it does not cut out um, all the sediment. The brown water kills their appliances and stains their clothes. When they moved to the Sandpiper community 10 years ago, nestled between popular Parksville and Qualicum, 
Ron was shocked when he poured his daughter's first bath there. And they told us that it was potable water, it was safe to drink. I said, you got to be kidding me. The water comes from wells and is chlorinated but brown from minerals. Manganese is a particular concern. Excess amounts of that can cause neurological damage, particularly in babies. Health Canada guidelines state 0.12 milligrams per liter is the max. French Creek consistently exceeds that. But the regional district says there are no health concerns. Their latest representative for the area is on the resident side. Even though it's potable water, it's unreasonable to ask that these people drink this water. Twice been denied federal assistance to clean their water, and the small community shot down the idea to fund it themselves. That's a multi-million dollar expense that would have been borne by the residents only in Sandpiper. That's not a reasonable solution to the problem. So the wards set up a petition. In one week, 100 residents have already signed and sent pictures. They are asking that the regional district of Nanaimo act immediately. And an offer to the provincial health minister, Adrian Dix. You come to our house, I will pour you a glass of water and we'll see what you think. We just need your help. The Ministry of Health says they have offered written guidance on how communities should deal with their excessive levels of manganese and warn parents Infants in those areas should not drink the water, nor parents use it in their formula. Brad McLeod, Global News. Hold on to your pants for this new world record that's coming up right after Christie's forecast. <laughs> Can't wait for that. All right, let's check in with Christy Gordon once again for a look at that forecast. You were mentioning earlier, Christy, uh, that Williams Lake and Quinell might be of concern. It is a beautiful day out there uh, where you are, though. Mm-hmm. It is, but we're also expecting rain tomorrow, and that's the big concern is we've got this front that's going to move across a region tomorrow. So let me show you the system here, uh, pushing in this evening along the north coast and then sliding across pretty much the entire province uh, through tomorrow afternoon. It pushes out pretty quickly, so by Wednesday, we're back to sunshine, everyone. In fact, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday look terrific, but the concern is what will this uh, one front sort of create? Now, the one area, as I mentioned, and that is now under a flood water Watch is that Quinell Williams Lake region. Uh, the boundary area, of course, we're watching as well, but those areas to the south are not expecting much from this front. So let me show you how much we can expect through Wednesday morning. So really not a lot in through the south, but that caribou sort of up towards the central interior region could see 10 to 15 millimeters, and those are regions that we're going to be watching. So those areas there could still have uh, more of a rise as we head towards um, Wednesday Thursday, that's the time period that we'll be watching those regions there. All right, so here's your forecast, everyone. For your Tuesday, yes, a little bit stormy. So rainfall expected, also a thunderstorms in through the caribou, uh, sorry, yes, caribou, central interior, further south, just showers. But for our region, we're expecting rain. A lot of kids, not everyone, but some kids heading to school tomorrow. So don't leave them without a rain jacket because there are many schools that are actually doing outdoor instruction. So make sure they're ready for that. But you won't need a rain jacket Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And I'll leave you with your central windows, weather window, a swollen Columbia River from David in Trail, BC. All right, back to you guys. Great to see those uh, shots of all the rivers there. All right. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. All right. Uh, back to that weird race now. It <laughs> couldn't have been comfortable, especially in the heat. But U.S. runner Johnny Gregoric set a new mile world record on Saturday in New York wearing blue jeans. His time, 
4.06.25. Four minutes, six seconds, uh, 6.25 seconds, about five seconds faster than the previous denim world record. Who knew there was a previous one? In addition to going for the record, the 28-year-old was also raising funds for mental illness. So far, he's raised more than $32,000. Uh, the jeans he was wearing, by the way, Levi's. Let's hope for very little chafing. After well, I was going to say, I'd be really impressed. I mean, that was impressive. If <laughs> they it wasn't were, a marathon. If they were tight jeans or tight corduroys. <laughs> Ooh. Because then you are running through the possibility of chafing, and that <laughs> takes a lot of guts. <laughs> good point. I think you're right. What's up for you? All right. So there is a good chance that by tomorrow, Major League Soccer teams will lock their players out. Not lock down, lock out. The league and the players are having trouble coming to a labor agreement over how things would work in a shortened season. The players feel they've made concessions. The owners, of course, feel they haven't gone far enough. Also tonight, an Alberta couple fawning over their front row seat to a miracle of nature. I feel way more aerodynamic now. Today was haircut day. Keith got one. Squire got one. Friday, I got one. I do. I feel more aerodynamic now. Much quicker than I used to be. <laughs> you look good. Uh, Major League Soccer could go from being locked out, or make that from being locked down, to being locked out. Team owners have given the players a deadline of 9 a.m. tomorrow, our time, to accept their final offer on a new bargaining agreement, concessions for a pandemic-shortened 2020 season, and a summer tournament in Orlando, or face a lockout. Because of that, MLS players did not go to team facilities to work out today. That included the Whitecaps. It seems almost amazing there could be a lockout in the middle of what's going on. The players' union has agreed to take pay cuts, but not as big as the owners want. Well, like the Western Hockey League, the BC Hockey League decided not to finish this season because of COVID-19, but they do have every intention of coming back for next season. The BCHL is a league that sees a number of its players go to get scholarships in American universities. And of course, a number of their players have become regulars and some have become stars in the NHL. But to start next year means a lot of the planning has to be done now. And it also has to be a bit creative. He'll try to play it ahead, but it's turned over. Here's Connell in tight. Connell to the goal, held up and he scores. Cooper Connell. We have every intention of playing, and obviously that's going to be dependent on the authorities. But uh, we we have a plan in with the provincial government that we think is going to work for us, and we're hopeful that they're going to agree. And that plan is for the number one junior A circuit in Canada to resume play come September for a full 54-game season. This after the coronavirus forced the BC Hockey League to cancel its playoffs. And we've put together what we feel are... Um, strong contingency plans to uh, to have a season if that's um, you know we're not we're not naming dates right now but uh, we kind of put together a sliding scale that will work and if if our season is delayed we have a plan that will that will be put in place for that how important is it for you to play it's extremely important um, for all of our communities um, you know with a new community like Cranbrook just coming into the league um, they're, you know, they're itching for hockey. Um, all of our communities. I think it's, it's an escape for a lot of our fans um, from even what's going on in, in uh, today's world. I think hockey's incredibly important for the for the locals, uh, locals of British Columbia. The league's been in regular contact with the provincial government regarding financial assistance and guidance when it comes to safely returning to play. That includes having fans in the building. 
starting with 25% of arena capacity and hopefully increasing it as the season healthily progresses. We need bums and seats, and that means we have to have fans that are coming out and supporting their teams in those communities. And, you know, to have a, uh, an arena capacity of 25% would be a great start. Uh, we'd obviously like to see more. And we will have all of the social distancing uh, protocols in place that will allow us to have fans in the building safely when the government says that we're allowed to do that. Should I give the shout out? I should. Chris Hebb, who used to work here years ago, the inventor of satellite debris. I'll give nice. him credit for that. Yes. The always dysfunctional family that is Major League Baseball are battling over how a short season would look. And as usual, the argument is over money, just like in the MLS. The players want to be paid on a prorated basis, depending on the number of games in the season. So today, the owners lowered their offer from having an 82-game season to a season somewhere between 50 to 60 games. The players want a 114-game season. But that's not going to happen because the owners don't want to pay that much salary. Baseball really needs to get it together because every year since 2012, attendance for Major League games has gone down. Octung, baby. It's German soccer. Leipzig and Cologne. A couple of nice goals to show you. Christopher Nakunku with a goal there. Nice little chip. 2-1 for Leipzig. And then how about this? The goalkeeper, Paul Lukaski. Or Gulkowski. Actually, I'll say Gulachki because that's the correct way to say it. Timo Werner. And this is impressive. 4-2. Leipzig is now in third in the Bundesliga. There you go. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. We're closely monitoring the situation in the U.S. tonight following today's speech by the president on how he plans to deal with protests and looters. Plus, what may have caused the fiery three-vehicle crash in Langley this afternoon. We'll hear from one of the people who helped the driver get out alive. And we're also following the flood situation in the B.C. interior and Fraser Valley. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. Sophie, Chris? All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. When we come back, our salute to our healthcare heroes and a window into the private lives of wildlife. That's next. Recognize another one of our BC healthcare heroes working throughout this pandemic to keep British Columbians safe and healthy. Tonight's nomination comes from Amy LeClaire, who wanted to recognize her mother, Susan. Susan is a supervisor of cardiology at Abbotsford Hospital. She was actually set to retire earlier this year, but she decided to wait a few extra months so that she could help with the COVID-19 pandemic. Susan is a mother of one and grandmother of two. And while she's unable to see her grandkids or her elderly mother in person right now, she visits through the window, dropping treats and always finding special ways to connect. Amy says she misses her mom so much. But they're so proud of her and what she's doing for all British Columbians. Susan, thank you so much for being a BC healthcare hero. Stay healthy and congratulations because we hear your retirement is now just over a month away. And we wish you the best of luck. So, again, if you have a healthcare hero you'd like to nominate, send an email to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Include a few pictures and a story about why they are your hero. And you just might have them featured right here on the News Hour. 
Well, a Lethbridge couple had a rare opportunity to get up close and personal with some wildlife. As Quinn Campbell explains, a doe gave birth right outside their window to two adorable little fawns. From their living room window, Braylon Gorm and his wife Megan captured something amazing. A doe chose their front flower bed as her maternity ward, delivering not one, but two adorable fawns. Literally, like, if the window wasn't there, we could have touched her. Like, we could have grabbed her. It was, yeah. it was, that's why I was like, so, so sometimes she's like, would turn and look at us and we're like, oh, we've been too noisy. But yeah, it was, she was like right there. It was crazy. On Sunday, the couple noticed a deer hanging around their home, a usual sight for many residents in West Lethbridge. But this one was acting a little differently. So she had the one, and we're like, oh, it was amazing, like, so cool. And, you know, she's cleaning it up and whatnot, and it was amazing. And then, yeah, and then she had another one, like, a little bit later. The couple, trying not to interrupt the moment, did their best to capture the rare opportunity. We weren't making a peep. <laughs> yeah, we were just like hiding, but we're like, we don't want to miss this. Like, this is amazing. And so we had our, we were like hiding behind, like on the floor and we had our cameras up like above the window, <laughs> like filming. And we're like, I think we're getting it. I think we're getting it. After the fawns were born, instincts kicked in and mom and babies all seemed to have instant survival skills. And they just stayed completely still for, like the rest of the day. And we didn't see them move until the night. And we like would check on them occasionally. It was just incredible to see really how like instinctual all that was. And it was really cool. Yeah. Now the couple hopes the mom and her babies will become regulars in their neighborhood so they can keep tabs on their favorite new family. Quinn Campbell, Global News. They were cute. Oh, something nice to end the newscast. Right? The miracle of birth. <laughs> All right, let's check in with Christy for a final word on the weather. Christy? Thanks. So, yes, a nice day today. We're in for rain tomorrow. It will be short-lived, developing in the morning, and uh, it should be done by the end of the day, sort of by dinner time. And then we're back to sunshine after that, so a pretty nice week after that. Looks pretty good. Thanks, Christy. All right, thank you for watching, everybody. Have a great night. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Good night, all.